0: These
1: originals. Now, it's time for Strong and
2: Stable. Strong and Stable, 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 Strong and
3: Stable. strong and Hello, and welcome to Strong and Stable, the podcast that brings you satirical chat faster than Katie Hopkins deleting inaccurate tweets from her timeline. I'm Dom Jolly, your host and a man with a phone so big not even Piers Morgan could hack it. In the news this week, the Care Quality Commission warned that the NHS can't cope with increased demand coming from illnesses caused by lifestyle choices, such as choosing to live in the UK and choosing to get old. Meanwhile, the happiest places to live in Britain were revealed with inside Boris Johnson's head coming in at number one. Also this week, the United States men's football team failed to qualify for the World Cup although that probably still won't stop them turning up late and claiming they won it. Sorry. And the trailer for Star Wars, The Last Jedi, was released. No spoilers, obviously, but what we can say is that, having grown old and bitter living on a forgotten island, Luke Skywalker definitely voted for Brexit. That's right, the farce was with him. And proving that the best things do come in threes, unless it's those awful Star Wars prequels, it's our guests. Tim Shipman is the political editor of the Sunday Times. His book, All Out War, was called the best political book of the year, although it unfortunately gave Donald Trump inspiration for his policy towards North Korea. Shadow Foreign Secretary Emily Thornberry has been the MP for Islington South and Finsbury since 2005. Emily was once accused of being part of the North London liberal elite, a claim I can confirm is inaccurate. I've just seen a Duncan Organic Artisan biscuit in her Waitrose cappuccino. <laughs> and finally John O'Farrell. John is a prolific author, scriptwriter and broadcaster whose career in comedy has included books, TV and writing jokes for Tony Blair, although he admits the Iraq War one went a bit too far. Welcome dear guests. How are we
2: very well, thank you. Good, didn't,
3: good. Didn't even plug my new book, Dom. Hey, eh? didn't even plug my new book, Dom. Well, you are doing it Things now. It's going to get worse.
2: <coughs> I am. That's why I'm here.
3: There you go. Job done. It comes <laughs> better for you. Now this week, Donald Trump said he invented the word "fake," uh, although obviously what he meant to say was he invented the word "kofeve." <laughs> while Katie Hopkins said there is no such thing as truth anymore, or did she? Hopkins also said it was her personal opinion that the recent incident outside the Natural History Museum was a terrorist attack. Well, it's my personal opinion that I should replace Hugh Hefner at the Playboy Mansion, but it doesn't mean it's true. Guests, how do we cope when we're being told that there are no facts anymore? Tim. Well, it's a sort of it's a great novelty. I've been being lied to by
0: politicians for twenty years, and now everyone's getting uptight because people in the media are doing it as well. Um, I mean, it's a bit depressing for a mainstream journalist uh, when you're trying to sort of uh, hold politicians to account to see that there's so much out there that's uh, just plain made up. But when it's the politicians making it up, we have to cover that as well, and that's what's going on with Trump. Emily,
1: I think there has been a crossover between fact and opinion, and so I think that we end up with journalists who are expected to have opinions as well and then those two things I think are getting more and more melded together and here I am <laughs> I, I'm I mean they they mustn't get their facts wrong and I think that the big the you know there are there are some important newspapers that would be that, that would be very distressed if they realized that what they were publishing was simply wrong um, but I do think that the the, the the line between fact and opinion is getting more and more blurred, and that is part of the problem, I think. So you get um, interviewers. So LBC, for example, on, uh-huh. LB- on LBC, um, it's everybody knows that the people on LBC have strong opinions, and when they're and when they they've got phone ins and so on, they will express their opinions. Um, and then so, so and then those people will 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 bring out certain facts, and people will latch onto those because they trust those po- people to be able to be the people who will give you the facts. I think it's it's when the bbc does it i think people are, are more worried and so i think there are certain interviewers on the bbc who we know have strong opinions and who allow those opinions i think to be to come forward when they're interviewing particularly politicians um and uh, we have to be careful about this i think we have to be careful about this um i know that obviously you know the bbc and lbc are in competition but but i think people do go to the bbc expecting I don't expect robots, um, but I think that we have to be careful when people are opinionated and interviewing in a particular way.
3: I mean, Lily Allen tweeted that she can't trust the BBC anymore. Katie Hopkins says, says it peddled state propaganda. I mean, are they doing right both sides? I mean, what's going should we trust them?
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. I, say I think that fundamentally you can. But I think there has been a tendency for more interviewers to have stronger opinions and for those opinions to show when they're interviewing.
2: I think everyone has an opinion. That's the point. And it's the people who think they're neutral or think that there is actually no such thing as objective news because no. what, what you choose to report already says something about you. So we, I respect the BBC's uh, desire to be neutral and objective. There is no such thing. And I think it's, the thing is self-awareness. Owen Jones goes out there with a the comment piece, goes, I am biased. I'm on the left. But people say, I'm objective. Well, I don't really believe there's any such thing.
0: But if we just leave it to a situation where you've just got opinionated people on both sides, um, you just end up with a bear pit and you have a lot of the programmes like you have in the United States where it's just a bunch of people shouting at each other. The BBC is the establishment. That's its biggest problem. Um, And right now we're in a a political situation where everybody wants to chuck rocks at the establishment.
1: Yeah, Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think we also have to be careful that it isn't just that the media could end up like, like like it is in many ways in the United States, but politics could end up like that I mean, because people don't know who to believe and where to go for, for, for the truth but I think that this has happened I mean the, the way we start off the
2: conversation uh, talking about the difference between truth and f- you know, lies and facts uh, what happened in 2016 was that lies were exposed as lies and the people pointing this out were put on the defensive and they were called elites and they were called um, they were criticized experts. for being educated, yeah experts we've had enough of experts saying what is true <laughs> so uh, this is this has been the seismic shift i think in politics that people are no longer ashamed of being caught lying they just repeat the lie more aggressively
3: which weirdly brings us to donald trump um oh. in saying he invented <laughs> fake has donald trump finally moved beyond parody now John, you used to write for Spitting Image, didn't you? Yeah,
2: people say to me, oh, wouldn't he make a great Spitting Image puppet? And I say, well, no, because what could you put in <laughs> his mouth that would be more ludicrous than, than what he's saying already? Um, he said this week, when would it be appropriate to close down news outlets? Which is a terrifying concept. So. When would it be appropriate in between um, burning down the Reichstag and annexing the Sudan land, I think? I, I mean, mean, Kim
3: Jong-un is... is probably looking at him going, yeah. smart, maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean,
0: I'd th- love to see a spitting image of the sort of private life of Donald Trump where he was depicted a bit like John Major, having a really
3: grey, boring time in private and then emerging like this sort of yeah. madman to uh, change with, the world with, in public. With Melania as the real power behind the uh, the throne. Trump says he invented the word fake and uh, fake news. Guess what word or expression do you wish you'd invented? Kvaffee. Kvoffy? Yes,
2: Kavoffy. It's a Was that word. yours, was
3: it? No, that was his, but I'm full of information. What for do that. we what feel it means now? In, I think it so, means
2: nonsense in his head.
3: But do you think now that that word has actually come to be a word? I mean, it is, yeah, sort it sort of indicates... It represents case,
2: Trump's Trumpian, mastery of
3: the brief, doesn't it? Trump nonsense. I've Tim. always liked pericombobulations, which I believe
0: was invented by the Black Adder writers. Um, I don't think it's in the dictionary, but I use it all the time. Meaning? Uh, I've no, no idea. I think it just means sort of, uh, you know, problems that you're having, you know, you're suffering from
3: pericombobulations. Emily.
1: Pusillanimous.
3: Oh, nice.
1: I like that word. Spell it for three. I have no idea how to spell it, <laughs> but I love saying it because I love accusing people of it. I, you know.
2: don't know, well, their faces go blank. And go, <laughs> I don't
3: know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> uh, Seth Meyers on his show said about Trump, sorry, what? You never noticed anyone use the word fake before. You never heard anyone describe your hair, tan, university, foundation, net worth, marriages or business. That's good. I mean, Trump's basically taken the word fake and, and fake news, it seems to me. And it's his get out clause for everything, isn't it? Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He can... If he gets pushed out of office, he'll say, well, I could have done it, but the fake news were against me. It's it's the sort of ultimate conspiracy defence, isn't it?
2: Well, he just can just lie his way out of any situation. So he says he he actually did win the election if you don't count all the um, illegal votes, which is no evidence for that whatsoever. Three million votes that Hillary beat him by. So this is just a massive lie that he just believes in his own head, I think. I mean, I think he's that sociopathic. But um, it's like saying, are you a liar? No. It's an, it's an impossible sort of philosophical conundrum.
0: At least he sort of owns the the word. It's so Trump, isn't it? You know, the sad thing is all the uh, Tory MPs in my WhatsApp group who who now use it whenever they see something they don't like or fake news. They cry, and it's uh, it's all rather pathetic. Is that is it as bad here as as, as America? Not yet, no. But the, the the degree to which they're trying to sort of adopt the same kind of tropes as Trump is is slightly depressing. I think. Well, it's depressing. They're seeing him as an aspirational figure, probably. I mean, that's the well. There's a lot of Tory MPs who uh, look at Melania and think, you know. That's not such a bad thing in life. I could oh, do God. a bit better, but uh, Emily,
1: I just trying to process what what Tim has just said.
0: I, <laughs> well, these are the same people who called Theresa May mummy before the general election. So
1: I don't understand Tories. I don't. I just. I really, really don't understand Tories. I try, but I just don't understand. You've got
0: no Tory friends, then, Emily?
1: I, I. I have, I mean, I sometimes find that I'm getting on with someone. Like I, I get on, there are certain um, Tory MPs who I get on with and, and I'll be talking to them. And then suddenly they'll say something completely bizarre. And I go, oh yeah, you're, you're a, Tory. a Tory. I forgot, I keep there's, forgetting. There's a difference between, we're going off the subject now, but there's a difference
2: between <laughs> getting on with someone professionally and having to deal with them politely and uh, make something work as to going down the pub with them. And I could, Is it the social equivalent? I could equivalent? never go down the pub with a Tory. You wouldn't? No. Really? No, why would you want to spend a night with somebody who has such a completely, what I think,
3: wrong view of the world? But you can't distance or go to the pub and talk about normal things? Well, if we talk Where about... You, if everything's normal, I suppose, but...
2: Everything comes back to politics, really, in the end. In Is it the equivalent? Of power, and, power and wealth distribution and... Uh, uh, women's rights and... ah, oh, you're fun at the pub. Yeah, no, well, no, but I mean, you know, if your worldview right, is, in my view, distorted, I don't see how you could be a mate. I do be polite and work with, I've worked with Tories and sat on boards with manager <laughs> Rumbold and all sorts, but to go down the pub with them and spend, say,
3: all coming for Christmas? Is I it the, the social equivalent of being at a party and getting on with someone and suddenly they mention Jesus?
2: It's a bit, well, no, because I can get on with Christians because we're coming at the same ends from different point of view.
3: Right. But uh, think Tories are, are after a different end to me. So, so,
2: no, no friends, Tories me. Sorry. So you've
3: never been to a pub socially with a Tory, knowingly?
2: Uh, no, that's not the same as... I wouldn't say I could ever... I wouldn't ever develop a friendship with a Tory. Have you ever I kissed one, like, door? No,
3: never kissed a Tory. I've no. never kissed a Tory. You've never, no. kissed, Tory. I've I've never kissed, my kissed a Tory? I've never kissed But how do you... Do you vet
1: them? No, but I do tend to know who they are. Right. Um, so Stripey I know. Shirts,
3: Stripey shirts, red jeans. No. I just... But what about <laughs> undercover Tories? <laughs> Tory moles yeah. who might be out to kiss you? Yeah. You've never kissed a Tory mole?
1: I've really never kissed Victoria, I know. Really? John? No. no.
3: Tim? Well, I'm very ecumenical in my kissing, (laughs) I have to say. Strong and stable. So this week Theresa May refused to say if she would now vote for Brexit, as she doesn't answer hypothetical questions or possess a hypothetical backbone. But with the increasing possibility of a no-deal scenario, the government has been accused this week of having a kamikaze approach to Brexit. Which isn't just a little unfair, but also inaccurate as kamikaze pilots generally manage to hit their targets. Philip Hammond, meanwhile, has suggested that a no-deal Brexit could mean planes can't fly into or out of the UK. So a bit like Monarch then, and Ryanair, and BAE. Oh, and Bombardier. So, guess do you think we'll have a no-deal Brexit? I think this is this is hilarious because they're going right. All
2: Europeans, you've got to leave, uh, and the planes are sitting on the tarmac. How exactly? Because the planes aren't taking off because of what you've done. It's like fly out immediately. But as soon as we sorted out the you know the, the flight arrangements uh brexit is such a disaster and Theresa may is making such a bodge job of it i think she should just get in a couple of polish guys to do a proper job and fix it you know like i do with my diy when it doesn't work get a couple of polish guys they'll do a really brilliant job really cheaply so we do a job swap with the yeah, polish yeah. government
3: yeah no, just a couple of you know get North them plumb. sort out the yeah. plumbing <laughs> exactly uh emily gordon ramsay said this week that brexit will be good for lazy brits is he right
1: no Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It a lot depends on on what happens. You know, I do think that we there is a grave chance that we're going to end up with no deal, and I think that they're preparing for it in their heads. I think um, that that there's a large number, a large proportion of the Tory party that that are completely comfortable with no deal. People say there's no difference between Labour and the Conservatives. There is absolutely no way that we want no deal. We don't want to be in a situation in 18 months when, you know, any company that wants to import or export anything is going to need to either face tariffs or go through a point of origin. We're going to have to employ, we're going to have to employ tens of thousands of new customs officers. There'll be queues at the docks for, you know, stuff coming in and out of the country. I mean, it let alone what would happen in Northern Ireland. It is reckless, it is foolish. It's absolutely extraordinary that there are Tories who really think that it's okay for our country to go sailing off into the mid-Atlantic and somehow or other we're going to be okay. We are not going to be okay. We have to be responsible. People have to look after the economy. That's what governments are supposed to do. They're supposed to look after the safety and security of citizens and the economy. And they're not doing it. And they're just fighting amongst themselves. And Brexit seems to me to be all about you know, whatever is going on in the Tory party and has been going on in the Tory party for the last couple of years. And they're playing it out with our country. And frankly, if it wasn't so serious, it would be funny.
3: But no, everyone agrees. I mean, Damon Evans on Twitter says both main parties are offering the same Brexit carcass, just with different gravy.
1: Well, it's just not, that's not true. We would... So there you would, go, Damon. Well, it's not true. Um, the, the truth is, is that we have been trying to make sure that the government gets through the Article fifty negotiations as responsibly as possible and then that we have an interim period where essentially we, we have the status quo so the Tories can do no more harm to our country. So that we can just we can we can then be in a position whereby hopefully there'll be an election, we'll be able to get another government and the grown ups can start negotiating because quite frankly this lot are obviously incapable of doing it.
3: So John, should there be a second referendum? Uh, I think we should call
2: it the first referendum on the terms of the deal. So, Every referendum yes, be the first referendum. Yes, yeah, but I mean, yes, absolutely. I mean, if you're getting divorced, you have a decree Nisi and a decree Absolute. If you buy a house, you, it's subject to survey. And yet we're heading towards this massive political decision. And I think it's uh, irresponsible of the government not to go, are you sure, British people? Uh, let's just, here's the
1: deal. Here's what it actually means. Yes or no. If we- they come back to Parliament with no deal, then we will not be voting for that we will not be voting for that. that is completely contrary to the country's interests. There will be a vote in Parliament on the final deal and you know and we will be able to exert some influence at that point.
0: But, but the, the Remainers need to be careful what they wish for, because if you have a, a vote in Parliament or, or a second referendum, um, the people voting against it will be the hardest of hard Brexiteers who want us to crash out and go to WTO rules. It won't be a choice between what we had before and, and what Theresa May is offering. It's going to be a choice between what she's offering and, and, a, and an even worse crash out.
2: Well, I would say that the referendum should be on, do you want this deal or do you want to change your mind and remain in Europe? I think, you know, being in Europe is still the best option for this country going forward. It's just, it just seems mad not to say so publicly and, and push that
3: But agenda. the polls
0: suggest that it's not, not moved at all. And I know, that, know. You know
2: um, and until, you know, ask Tony
0: Blair,
3: he'd tell you, until you've got 60% against, there's nothing going to change, unfortunately. Uh, comedian Matt Green tweeted, Brexit increasingly feels like a man in his 50s getting divorced because he can't wait to get on Tinder and meet loads of 20-year-olds.
2: Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid there aren't loads of 20-year-olds that's waiting out there for Britain outside of Europe. The, you know, no 20-year-olds outside Europe. No, the trade equivalent does not yeah. exist. <laughs> to stretch this metaphor, it's yeah, no. <laughs> the
3: breaking point. Charles um, Fraser tweeted, Remain has become a middle-class tantrum of people who are used to getting their own way. Tim, what do you think of that? I think there's something in that.
0: Um, uh, I know that the parts of my personality feel a little bit the same about that sometimes. Um but, uh, yeah, everyone just needs to get a grip. Actually, people agree on a hell of a lot more uh, around this than than the political discourse would suggest. You know, most people, uh, including the Labour Party, agree that, you know, we're leaving the single market, we're leaving the customs union, um, and that the transition will take place and it will look pretty much exactly like what we've got at the moment. Uh, there's not actually a lot of disagreement
1: about all of that, and uh, we just need to get on with it. You say there's not a lot of disagreement, but, you know, the, the baseline is, Tim, is that we have, a, we have a, a Tory party that has a position that we can work out whether we disagree with or not. Yeah, but because they're all over the place, you know, it's very difficult. And it's very, you know, and I'm, I'm constantly being asked by Europeans, what does the government want? And I'd say, I'm really sorry, but I have absolutely no idea because they have no idea.
2: Well,
0: that's true. But in July, the, the Labour Party had about six positions in four weeks, uh, if you top well, them that's all not up. Right.
2: Well, I think the point is that uh, there are people at the top of the Conservative Party, maybe Labour Party, but they're not controlled, So uh, it doesn't really apply so much. But there are people in the Conservative Party who are playing this for their own uh, personal positioning inside the Conservative Party leadership they're thinking, um, May is thinking I need to survive so I can't alienate this wing or that wing, Boris is thinking I want to be leadership I want to be leader so I'm playing it this way and these are massive national stakes uh, here that they're playing with. That's Um, true but actually the the massive fight between the two sort of
0: demented uh, groups on both sides has actually left Theresa May sort of stuck like a prisoner
3: squarely in the middle which is probably the best place for her and for the country at the moment. John, your <coughs> pub mate, um, Lord Buckethead, uh, yes. tweeted, Wake up, journalists! The correct follow-up question to Mrs May saying she doesn't answer hypothetical questions is, but what if you did? <laughs> well, someone who's interviewed Theresa May three times in the last year, it's not just hypothetical questions that she doesn't answer. <laughs> Any
0: question. Has she ever answered a question just straight? Uh, very, very rarely. I remember 20 minutes into my interview with her during the general election campaign, she'd used strong and stable about eight times, and I was beginning well, to it's literally bang my face against it's the great wall. The <laughs> plug- that's great she's, she's plugging, plugging podcast. We're very happy with that. Good branding yeah.
2: there. I did, actually. When I was uh, standing against her, She kept uh, every time she was asked about the cuts from the local council, she always went, the, ca- the council have had to make some very tough choices. And then the third time I was on a panel with her, I said, Theresa May will just say that the council have had to make some very tough choices. And then it came to her, and I saw her face freeze over, and her brain going, "I've got to come up with an original idea." And for a nanosecond, she was trying to think of some creative sentence construction. And then she just went, "The council have had to make some very tough choices." She and everyone in the audience sort of looked at each other. Choices little, that are tough, surely, yeah, or yeah, just no, spin it round—just the same thing that I just said she was going to say.
3: Emily, how do you find our prime minister personally? Have you ever had a drink with her? Well, we know you haven't. You've never <laughs> gone to the pub with her. Have you had tea with her?
1: We've talked. We've You've talked. talked, yeah, we've socially talked
3: socially or with with a chaperone.
1: <laughs> we've talked, and uh, we're in, we're both interested in, in 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 encouraging women into politics. We have that in common. Um, the uh, we're both in favour of there being a statue for Emily, Emily Wilding-Davidson in, in Parliament. She spoke on a platform at a meeting that I organised. So you've got loads to talk about in so, the pub. So, you know, but uh, yeah, so we do have something. Two and some a half on. minutes must have just flown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Strong and
3: stable. Well, now with his usual calm, laid-back take on the week's uneventful politics, it's
4: our special correspondent, Jonathan Pye but the Prime Minister seemed to struggle when asked how she'd vote if the referendum were held today. Let's take a listen. What, what do you mean, I don't answer hypothetical questions? Bollocks! During the campaign, when asked if you'd pushed the nuclear button, you said are fucking lootly. At, at least I'm hoping that was a hypothetical. It's it's as if she didn't see this question coming. Would you vote for Brexit today? It's a pretty obvious question with surely only one possible answer if you're the person in charge of Brexit. Lie, for fuck's sake, but answer the fucking question. The the answer is simple, Teresa. I have changed my mind. I believe that Brexit is a massive opportunity for Yanni. You fucking lie! It's the only possible answer from the person who said Brexit means Brexit, that Brexit will make us strong, confident and united. Then you have to say you'd vote Leave, even if you wouldn't. But instead, her Brexit strategy this week is to go back on her word and start threatening EU nationals, exactly the opposite of what she said in Florence. She's making it up as she goes along. She's improvising Brexit like it's a fucking jazz solo. And suddenly, it's people that are the bargaining chips. She's not bargaining with money, she's bargaining with people. From someone who has really pushed for laws against modern slavery, one of the few genuine achievements that she's made, it's, it's odd that she's now so willing to use the threat of booting people out as blackmail. Not a great way to open a trade negotiation, is it? Give us reduced custom tariffs or the toddler gets it. It's a morally repugnant stance to take. Nobody in the Brexit campaign ever suggested EU citizens' rights were on the table. Not even UKIP. This is sub She's fucking lost it. Not even UKIP. Well, she later went on to clarify her words by saying... That... Jonathan Pye there,
3: whose new book about how he sees the world is called Jonathan Pye Off The Record. Although I have to say, I think he missed a trick not calling it The Pyeball. This week, the UK was urged to act against racial inequality by a Prime Minister who picked a cabinet containing only two non-white people. Yes, the racial disparity audit showed the true extent of inequality in Britain. Although it could have been worse, the research could have been sponsored by Dove. Also this week, a list was doing the rounds which showed the number of Guardian journalists who went to Oxbridge, which again was a truly shocking figure to absolutely nobody who's been paying attention to the world of journalism over the past hundred years. So, panel, do you feel privileged? Where do we start? Emily, who's Oxbridge here? Hands up, which is good for a podcast. Tim Shipman goes up. No one else. Well done. Anyway, I'm the elitist again. Yeah, yeah, so you're the elitist. I'm more more all men and women (laughs) of the
0: people. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a
2: spectrum, isn't it? I think a privilege is a spectrum. And um, I, as a middle-class white man, am quite a long way towards the extremely privileged uh, end of it. And that's why I sort of make the most of the fact that I didn't go to some posh private school. Because it's the only thing I can cling on to uh, that I can feel slightly oppressed when people like David Cameron talk down to people like me. But most of the time, I'm incredibly privileged. And I think the thing is to be aware of your privilege. And so f- for me to start jumping into the, d- the debate on Harvey Weinstein, I think, should be done with extreme caution. But I'm, you're going to, aren't I'm you? I'm not, no. I, I was holding back and there's so many men on Twitter going, why don't women do this? I just want to say, shut up and listen, yeah. men. Or shut up and listen, white people. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think, just self-awareness, I think, is the key here.
3: But is it unfair to criticise people for going to Oxbridge? Tim, you're probably the one to ask on that. Well, I mean, I, I take the
0: view that I was the first person in my family to go to university and I got there under my own steam, so I, I up to a
3: degree. So I think... But you of, were showing off a bit by going straight to Oxbridge. If you were the first one, couldn't you have done a lesser uni and well, then quite. your children go to So Oxbridge? I don't think sort of doing Cambridge necessarily is,
0: is a sign of privilege. I think going to a grammar school, having parents who had books in the house, who made me write and think and do things from a young age, that that was immense privilege and I think John's right, you've got to recognise where you've come from and, and try and help people who are coming up behind you to, you know, who don't have some of those advantages and, you know, I'm a growling old so-and-so but I do try and help young journalists who are trying to get on and if they get in touch with me, I, I try and give them
2: a helping hand. Dom, I think we'd love to hear from one of the ladies now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> are you following this,
2: Emily?
1: So, so I'm quite often caricatured as being privileged, and in many ways I am. I'm from North London, and yeah, I bought my house 25 years ago, and a North London house in Islington obviously has gone up. What's it know, worth now? <laughs> I don't know, I think two, I and, think half, you do. two and a half million, maybe. Two and a half mil, nice. So it's gone up about ten times since, uh, since we bought it 25 years ago. And what
3: um, about the house in Jamaica? <laughs> I
1: don't have any house
3: Do you? Oh, I've been misinformed yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, But I have had to kick my way up. To be quite honest.
3: You've had to kick your way up.
1: Well, I, you know, my mum was a single parent and I was brought up on a council estate and I failed my 11 plus. Uh, But I also but my dad was was uh, very successful just that we didn't see a lot of him. Um, And then when I was uh, 15, 16, I went to live with my dad. And then when I was 17, he went to New York for the weekend and didn't come back. So it has been hard.
3: Would you say? You know,
1: but I'm not saying I'm not privileged now because I am. And my kids are very privileged because I have done my best to do well. And I'm proud of myself.
3: Who would your dad have voted for?
1: My dad would have voted Labour.
3: Would he? Mm hmm. Okay. No, 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 just checking. no,
1: no, no, no. My dad would have voted Labour. I was here, so yeah, you yeah. Can't catch me. No, I can see that. And I, I, my mum. Feel the shirt. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't
2: think we blame people for going to Oxbridge or criticise them for having gone to Oxbridge. I think we criticise them if they're not aware of their privilege or they try to claim they're actually disadvantaged in some way by that. Which is a conversation I had with somebody recently who said, "Oh, I was at Footlights and it was worse for me in the '80s in the world of alternative comedy because I was just pre- pre- people were prejudiced
3: against me." There is I, a lot of that. There's reverse yeah, Oxbridge stuff. It's a stuff of saying no. they have yeah. to hide it yeah,
2: yeah. but uh, it's a question about what, what tim is saying he's aware that yeah. he's privileged i'm aware that i'm privileged and for someone like emily she has to be exceptional to get where she is uh real equality will happen when mediocre white middle class men you know don't make it when mediocre women are put into positions of authority then we'll have equality
1: i think also it's important when you when you are in a position of authority to To do everything that you can as as Tim was saying, to encourage others mm. um I was on the so I was a barrister before i before i um became a politician, and I was in a chambers called Tukes Court, which was mike Mansfield's chambers, and we were famous for having half women and about a third of us were ethnic minorities and we even had some working class people too really yeah and um but what we would do was was we would when we were looking at c v s we would look at how what people had done with the opportunities that they'd had and how well they had done. Not just did they get a first from Oxbridge, I'm afraid. So it was. Yeah. So so you'd look at it in the round, right, and, and for that, and I was for that too reason, getting
0: drunk to get a first. <laughs> I'm just
1: saying that that uh, that 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 I think was an important way of looking at things. And we were a chambers with with outstandingly good people, and we were looked to. And people kind of went, "How did you do that?" And it goes, "Well, well, because you know, we just." chose the best people. In the interest <laughs> of that whole thing about
0: you know, the establishment being you know, the thing that everyone's pushing against, you know, people
3: spend years and years trying to become members of the establishment and then they get there and discover it's really naff. In the interest <laughs> of balance, though, the Tories are also interested in this, Jacob Rees-Mogg agrees action on racial disparity is essential. He's ordered his Filipino houseboy to look into this immediately. So I don't think we can be too unfair on them. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to say today. <laughs> it's
2: left us all stunned with this. Image. to remember uh, that Jacob, Jacob Rees-Mogg once
3: I'm, used the word "flocky knicky porcelain hillipilification in the House of Commons. <laughs> so. Who who are the elite in Britain today? Has it changed? It has. I think it changed when New Labour came to power. That that suddenly,
2: um, someone like me who wrote a book about that got a column on the Guardian, was invited to Downing Street. Suddenly, I was I was initiated into the liberal elite. I've still got my membership card. It was fantastic. Polly <laughs> Toynbee gave it to me. <laughs> Tim.
0: Well, I think, I think that's right. I mean, Peter O'Born had this theory a few years ago about the sort of political media establishment being this one hideous amorphous class, and I think he was probably onto something. Um, but I think, uh, to some degree, it's it's changed a little bit. David Cameron took things a little bit back towards, you know, the old school tie. Um, and there's a slight feeling now that, um, uh, you know, the them and us is, is a little bit different from what it was when Blair was around. It's,
2: very, it's very subtle. There's a good thread by Sarah Perry, the writer, um, this week on Twitter, about how when she walked into a full of publishers. She just didn't know anyone else there. Everyone else was saying, "Oh, remember we were at Trinity together," or "Oh, your sister was at St Paul's with me." She said, "Not knowing anyone or not knowing your way round is hard for somebody to
1: understand who's not on the inside." I, I agree with you, but, and I agree with everything. But I think there's an additional element which I think is really interesting, which is, which is the which is the the new establishment in the Labour Party is very different mm. to what people have been used to before, and I think there's a lot of kind of people getting their heads around that. Who, who are the movers and shakers in the Labour Party these days? If we are going to be in the next government, what are the influences? Because it is very different to the Labour Party a few years ago. Sure.
3: Yeah. I and I, wh- I've... Go on, Tim. I no, think... I was just. Gonna,
0: I agree with John about, you know, that whole thing of walking into a room and not knowing anyone. When I first started going to party conferences sort of 17 years ago, I didn't know anyone. And it was absolute hell going into a bar full of people enjoying themselves uh, and not knowing anyone. And, you know, you get to the stage where you do know everyone. Um, and after a while, that gets boring as well. Yes. What was your technique then? Uh, just buy lots of drinks. um, For yourself or for everyone? Well, you start with yourself and then (laughs) you get some Dutch courage to march up to other people and start trying to talk to them. And you find that really for a free drink, quite a lot of people will do
1: almost anything. But Tim, did you go to the Momentum Rally? I is didn't. Is there, that, I went to that, and I tell you, there wasn't any rallying. There wasn't any talk. They just seemed to be dancing. So I went in and was sort of, you know, doing 1980s soul girl dancing. Um, that and there was some like
0: discos that, I went to, uh, which were hell as
1: yeah. well when you try to talk to girls. <laughs> this so, is all back to this our student This just brings discos, discos, back yeah. they're the left
2: to teenage. the left. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was—it's just, just very odd because this is the—you know—this is a new powerhouse coming into the Labour Party, and but they're all twenty-five, lots of, and, I'm and they're all twenty-five, and, and they're all twenty-five, and they—and they all come, you know, bouncing around, and I mean. I I remember I was walking down the front and there were these two young women who came bouncing up to me like Emily, 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 Emily. They were like a couple of tiggers and and I said okay, okay. And they were like, can we have our photo taken with you because we're two Emily's. So we had and we had to kind of get them to stop jumping up and down in order to have a photograph taken. Is that and drinks is, or drugs? This is just momentum. This is just right. this is just the enthusiasm, extraordinary kind of people coming into party conference. And so at our conference, I think. I honestly think about half of them had never been to party conference before. I think it's changed. I think the other thing that's
0: happening is that social media actually cuts through a lot of this. I have a load of people that I'm friends with on on Twitter or whatever, and I sometimes meet them in real life, but not that often. (laughs) And some of them are 15, 20 years younger. But if you interact in an engaging way, you actually can... And you use emojis. uh, Well, that's part of the trick, yeah. But (laughs) you can then find that you actually become friends with these people, and you understand their worldview, and And
3: you 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 do interact. Well, they all hit 40 and they end up Tories anyway, John.
1: So. 47. Well, I
3: think, I think we can all agree the UK must take action on class and racial disparity, demand a group of powerful white people. I think that's great. Strong and stable. Now it seems that the fault lines in politics these days fall along generational lines as much as ideological ones. The new insult by young people on the left is apparently Centrist Dad, which is ridiculous as Centrist Dad, one of my favourite bands. While this week, Tory MP James Cleverly showed he was really down with the kids by writing a piece which used the cultural analogy of Pulp's 1995 album, Different Class. I look forward to reading Jacob Rees-Mogg's Think Piece on Blur. Well, he does live in a house, a very big house in the country. Um, do you feel there's a real divide between the old uh, and the young when it comes to politics? now? I mean, you were talking about momentum and stuff. What, what, what is the divide?
1: Well, I don't think that the divide is necessarily that much. I just think that at party conference, it really came home to me that we had such a large number of youngsters who Enjoying were so, enthi- and, and so enthusiastic and idealistic and just an injection of energy into the Labour Party, which is... Which is brilliant. It is brilliant.
3: Can you talk us through the, the the new sort of the the slang that's coming in? For instance, I mean, no, are you are I you a really, melt, Emily? I
1: mean, I, honestly, I mean, fortunately, I've got young people in my office. I've got young people at home, and so when I'm sent messages on social media, I do go up. I go to and I say, "Is there a young person here? Can someone explain to me? Am I being insulted when they say I'm well banged tidy?" You know <laughs>
3: just, <laughs> you're being triple you're being triple complimented there. It's actually the same that's thing. Full in full on three, Harvey Weinstein. It really is, yeah. isn't it? So you're not a fan of celebrity juice, clearly. Or you'd have known that one. I didn't know. Really. But do you really stuff. not follow all that stuff. I mean, some of them are a bit weird. Melt, for instance, is a new word, isn't it?
2: Cheese I mean, toasty, isn't it? No.
3: it well, yeah, that's to me. Yeah. If you're a total melt. It's a great word, <laughs> yeah. but it's it actually means. Do you know what it means?
1: I have no idea. Really? Really? Yeah. People have to explain these. things. Okay. Well, melt
3: is apparently a non-corbanista, sort of Corbiniste mistruster, a melter.
1: So it's got nothing okay. to do with snowflakes.
3: No, not at all. No, it's completely different. Okay. That's different. What about a slug?
1: No idea. That's
3: no. an even worse one, isn't it? Is it, it than yeah. a melt, I think? Yeah. What's a
0: slug? Well, that's a, someone who's much more hostile, I think, to the Corbyn
3: project. Yeah, so he's a, he's far right of a melt? I would think so. Yeah. Yeah,
0: or just more aggressive about it.
3: Right, are any of you centrist dads? What does this mean? I, I would. Try
2: to argue that I'm not a centrist dad. Then I realise my book opens with my kids going to me, "Oh my God, Dad, you are so moderate. You are so." <laughs> Actually, somebody said to me in the in you got a book, book out, John. I have got a book out called "Things Can Only Get Worse." It's oh. in all good bookshops and two crap ones as well. Okay, um, but um, uh, yeah, so my book opens with me and my kids laughing at my non-radicalness. Uh, so I, but I, I would hope I'm not a centrist dad just because I don't feel I'm at the centre of the Labour Party. I feel I'm slightly on the left, and so, and and the the point about that is dads. Have been telling younger people how this politics works and they can't do that anymore because we don't know anymore we didn't we didn't foresee brexit we didn't foresee trump and we didn't see foresee the last election result so we have to listen rather than you know patronize and talk down
3: to people speaking of which the average age of tory members is 71 apparently how can the tories win the youth vote have they lost the youth vote for the foreseeable future
1: I think it has to be it has I know to, what you're it say. has <laughs> to come from the ground up it has to come from the ground up it has to be okay I just I don't think that they can graft anything genuine onto the Labour, onto the Tory party it has to be are young people interested in Tory politics if so they will get involved they're not inv- they're not interested guess what but they are interested in our politics and that's why we <coughs> have this injection of enthusiasm
3: but is it actually possible to have a right-wing youth movement when uh, I was a student
2: or there, there was a Tory Federation of Conservative Students, they're all hang Mandela t shirts and you know Hang Mandela. Hang Mandela t shirts they used to wear. They're all now columnists for the spectator in the second half. Really? Yeah. Toby Young, <laughs> is
3: it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they keep getting disbanded, don't they? That's, yeah, they did, the because they kept
2: embarrassing them and they had to sort of... Yeah, Tebbets would close them down on a regular basis. It's very difficult for the Tories to do this sort of thing. The thing that brought home to me
0: most recently how uh, the Tories can't do the youth vote was when Michael Gove uh, was being reshuffled and given his new job and he thought it was all a wind-up uh, and that one of his mates had phoned up and told him to come to Downing Street and he got this extraordinary message saying, drive here and then park here and then you'll be met but there's a rally going on so we'll bring you through an underpass And he think, and he said to me, this whole thing made me think I was going to come out into this underpass and see Dom Jolly recreating Trigger Happy TV. And I thought, well, that's quite funny. And then I thought, literally nobody under the age of 30 will
3: have a clue what, what he's talking about. <laughs> Luckily, new Trigger Happy is out next week. Thank you very much for uh, doing it. Good so plug, that, that should sort that out. We haven't plugged everyone so far. Um, speaking of slang, after centrist dad, can we think what's coming next? A moderate mum, neoliberal man? Where are we going? Are there any good words you've heard? I suppose this is like
2: we, well, the way the politicians were defining people as Worcester woman and you know and man. It's, these are these are those were sort of uh, target voter sort of yeah, yeah. Uh, labels, weren't they? That we David Amo the pass yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's all a bit simplistic and a bit you know it's a bit to say someone's a centrist dad. It sort of cl- makes them, makes their uh, opinions invalid. And everyone's opinions are valid. We want to hear from the centrist dads and the you know the left wing. But sons aren't these the aren't water. these
3: terms the sort of terms that are applied by polling? Uh, organisations that, frankly, are sort of a little bit out of touch anyway now?
2: I don't know. Yes. it's
3: right. good. Good.
0: <laughs> good chat. Sorry. Good.
2: <laughs>
0: well, the great thing about being a journalist who's got it all wrong is that the pollsters have got it even more wrong pretty much every time for the last few years.
3: Do you think pollsters are going to be wrong for I mean, that's it at the end of polling, or is that? was that a brief blip? Are they going to work out how to get back it? Or what's, what's... They
0: always fight the last war, so they had a mm. terrible time in 2015 because they, they couldn't find, uh, you know, all the Tory voters, so they went and looked extra hard for them this time and found too many of them. Um, and that's always going to be their problem. Because ultimately, you get your raw figures and then you have to sit there and apply your own kind of model to it, and that it boils down to personal judgment. Yeah. I think
1: it was also because there was an awful lot of people who were just discounted because they didn't think that they would vote. And it isn't just young people. It was also a lot of people who who were marginalised and disaffected and, you know, and frankly, we didn't knock on their doors. We had them down as non-voters, so we didn't bother to to, to knock on their doors. And then, lo and behold, they turned up and they voted Labour.
0: If you read mentioned. my new book, Dom, about the election... Have you, you got, got a dis- new book, too? <laughs> ...coming shortly. <laughs> <laughs> but you will discover that, you know, um, both political parties cocked this up. Neither of them saw it coming. Um, lots of Corbynistas claim they did, but uh, Labour High Command didn't. What's your new book about, Tim? It's about the chaos of the last year. Oh, All oh, right, So yeah. not I much to
1: write
2: about. A year well, of
3: political use? mayhem. Yeah. Emily, do you have a book
2: coming out? TV I, show? I, I'm, I'm a bit Dance. busy. Busy, Dance. Busy, Dance. Busy. I'm a bit busy. Can I just say, Dom, that Tim's Brexit book was very, very good.
3: It was. was. My <laughs> mum liked yeah. it, and she's a tough <laughs> it crowd, it I tell you. It felt
2: like a political thriller. Anyway. Yeah, it did.
3: <laughs> political discourse has always turned up new terms to describe people of particular political persuasions. In the 19th century, you had the Whigs. In the 1980s, you had the Wets. And, of course, up till fairly recently, you had those fuckers from UKIP. So... I think we'll end there. Um, Finally, who? It's time for our game. Who said this this week? Uh, So just pick who said it. Brexit is not a game. Little hint. Theresa May. Brexit is not a game. Uh, uh, Juncker. Mm, No. Macron. My French accent was better than that. (laughs) that, But yeah, Michel Barnier yeah okay fantastic barney impression <laughs> this one's slightly easier i think i am i think i am actually humble i think i'm much more humble than you would understand was, it's trump it's that, that, i'm the humblest person in the world I, I am there is nobody more so humble well. than me i think trump absolutely nailed it with that one i mean that was he cannot go go higher than that but of course he will uh, emily this is one for you with your youth knowledge trump oh no. when it comes to giving a shit you're stingy as i am except when it comes to having the balls to go against me you hide them you notice by my hand youth movements that it's probably something to do with popular culture. Who said that?
1: I, I don't even understand what it means. Wasn't well, maybe Alan, I should have rapped it
3: better. Would you like to do it? It wasn't
2: Alan Bennett, was it? No,
3: it wasn't Alan Bennett. <laughs> Trump, when it comes to giving a shit, you're stingy as I am, except when it comes to having the balls to go against me, you hide them. That's why I'm not a rapper, but it's Eminem.
1: I was going uh, to say Eminem.
3: Oh, okay. you familiar with Eminem? Yes, I know
1: who Eminem
3: The Sweets? Is. What? In retaliation. Now, that was Eminem in his new rap, The Storm. Okay. which obviously you've taken down. In retaliation, Trump has now claimed he has the best rap names, including a Trump called Quest, Snoop Don, and the notorious Bigley. <laughs> totally lost on you, Emily, isn't it? Ring your kids. Um, who said this? You can't be a trot and own an allotment.
1: <laughs> oh,
3: I oh, I did these. hear that. Yeah,
2: I heard those two. So Well, who I was he you
3: know, talking, talking about? He uh, talked about Corbyn. Yeah. Um... Was it Jacob Rees Mogg? No, no, we can't no. bring him up every time, no. No, no, no. David Owen.
2: That's yes, David that's Owen. Right. Someone David Owen. Yeah.
3: Corbyn is apparently concerned about the location of his allotment, as people are always telling him he's lost the plot. I thank you. Very good. <laughs> God, Emily, you're a tough crowd here. (laughs) Good
2: stony face there from Emily.
3: Right, what about this one? What I did last time round was I looked at everything and came to a judgment and I'd do exactly the same this time round. Theresa May. Theresa May on Brexit on which way she'd vote in a new referendum. For a bonus point interviewed by? Ian Dale. Ian Dale, nice, well done, and I'll be seeing you. Of course, Tory MPs who supported the leadership bid are muttering they wouldn't do the same this time round. Uh, And the final one is, I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough then, it does now. Wow. Big political figure, this, so it's pretty easy. No? No. Deafening silence. Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker in the trailer for Star Wars The Last Jedi. (laughs) The new Star Wars trailer landed this week as Carrie Fisher joined Harvey Weinstein in the list of people making their last appearance in film in 2017. And just like Harvey Weinstein's filmmaking career, we've unfortunately come to an end. But unlike Harvey Weinstein's wife, we'll be back soon. Huge thanks to our guests, Tim Shipman, Emily Thornbury, and John O'Farrell. Our reporter, Jonathan Pye. And our writers, Andrea Mann, Robin Flavel and Dan Bowman. This has been Strong and Stable, a that lot production for Deezer. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. That was Strong and Stable. We'll catch you next time. Please subscribe.
1: These originals